Thank the Lord. Well, I am anxious to share the word today. So, okay, if we get on with that. Amen. What an exciting thing. I'm going to talk to you today about why you need to get dressed daily. This is going to be deep. Why you need to get dressed daily. It's not getting dressed like you're thinking of it, though, probably. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 5. I don't usually do this, but I'm going to give you time to locate these scriptures before I get started. Because we're going to spend some time in another one and the words will be on the screen when we get there. You won't need them. But when I go to Psalm chapter 5, you'll be ready. And when I go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, you'll be ready. So Psalm chapter 5 and Ecclesiastes chapter 12. You've got Psalms, you can find that. It's the easiest book in the Bible to find. All you have to do is you can hold your Bible in your hand, hold it closed and look at it, open it up in the dead center. It'll open right up to Psalms. And then Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. Turn just a little bit later, you'll find the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Psalm 5, Ecclesiastes 12. We're ready to go. It only occurred to me this morning that this was such an appropriate topic for today being Veterans Day and talking about the veterans and honoring them for what they have done and those who are still serving. I will tell you before we get started that this sermon today will have kind of a militant, military tone to it. It will have to do with uh, being determined. It will have to do with taking a stand. The emphasis will be on preparedness and alertness and perseverance and being ready to go. So as we talk about that today, we're going to turn first to Ephesians chapter 6. Well, you're not going to turn there. I've already, sorry, I'm in a habit of saying that. What I want you to do today is watch the screen. And the reason I'm doing this is when you look at it in your Bible, it's going to be in black print on white paper, most likely. But I've taken some liberties to highlight certain things, and I've color-coded our text today. And I thought that might be helpful for us to get the real gist and what's important about this particular passage. So we're going to read as our text, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. And instead of just reading straight through it, I'm going to talk our way through the text and make a few comments um, and use this as the foundation for our sermon and to, to launch into what that is all about. The introduction is going to be longer than the rest of it, but we need to understand these things. After writing to the church at Ephesus, it's six chapters long. The Apostle Paul has addressed certain things. It's a very theological book. It talks about the church, the doctrine of the church. And Paul had a lot to say to the Ephesians uh, in that book. Very interesting. It's a delightful book to study and read and learn from. But as he has said, basically everything he wants to say, everything that's on his heart, he has said, except for this. 
And the way we know that is, as he's closing out the book of Ephesians, he begins this text by saying, finally, my brother. In other words, he knows he's winding this epistle, this letter down. He's about to close it. Yet there's one other thing I want to talk to you about, he says. One other thing is very urgent, very important. So Paul says, finally, my brother. Now, everything in yellow tends to lean toward the the militant, military, disciplined, army, fighter, crusader type mentality. In other words, when you are a man in uniform, or today a woman in uniform, you have an assignment, you have a job. It's not always pleasant, sometimes it's dangerous. But whether it's in training or whether it's on the job, as is true with many jobs, you're supposed to be prepared, to be diligent, to be determined, to be disciplined, and have certain things in order and certain things in place at all times. So that whenever the problem comes, you'll be able to combat it. So, realizing that what's highlighted has to do with these ingredients, these aspects of being prepared as you think militarily. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Now, wait a minute. If we were to stop right there, I would ask you this question And I would say, does it seem to you from that one verse, that one sentence, does it seem to you like that in any shape or form or fashion that it is God's will for us to be weak Christians? That verse just kind of excludes that, doesn't it? So forget that it's God's will for us to be weak in our faith. Forget that it's God's will that we should struggle and be defeated in our Christian walk. And understand up front, finally, Paul says, as I close this out, I want you to know this. Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord. That's God's will for you. If you have ever wondered before, if it's God's will for you to be strong spiritually, there it is right there. There's your answer. Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now we understand that our strength and our help comes from the Lord. Amen. Within ourselves, we are nothing, but... What we're going to see is that the Lord, it gives us the armor. The Lord gives us what we need to be successful. United States of America, Army, Navy, Marines, Air Force, Coast Guard, whatever. Theoretically, at least, we've heard criticisms to the, to the contrary. But theoretically, at least, we put in their hands and we put at their disposal what they need to be successful. Amen. We don't leave them on the battlefield unprotected. We don't leave them on the battlefield lacking anything. Theoretically, we want to provide everything for them that they could possibly need in order to get the task done. So we're supposed to be strong. We have available to us power that comes from His might. And I might mention there is no lack of power when it comes to God. So you don't need to worry that he's going to run out like you're in the gas line in a gas shortage. Maybe some of you have never done that. I know some of you have. We've been there when there were gas lines and you had to wait in line. Then when you get there, about the time you got up to the pump, they ran out. God's might and God's power will never run out. So the Bible says we're supposed to be strong 
And we're supposed to have his power that comes from his might. And in verse 11, we're supposed to put on the whole armor of God, not the parts we like or not the parts that we think are most important. Because when you got dressed and came to church this morning, you needed more than socks on. Right? So you needed to be fully dressed, properly dressed. And when you look at this, the whole armor of God is the same way. Put on the, listen, you fill in for me. Put on the armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. Now he's going to tell us what the whole armor of God is. And we're supposed to avail ourselves of what is provided for us that will make us able to stand against all that the the enemy would send our way. So put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to what? Stand against. That's what soldiers do a lot of times. They stand against something, right? They stand against the enemy. When I was in school growing up, there was a a bully in school. And I didn't know at that time that it was okay to stand up against a bully. I thought you were just supposed to be non-combative. But I had to learn a little bit later in life, sometimes you have to stand up. That's what this scripture says. Sometimes you have to stand against. There's things in this world today we need to stand against. Sometimes we just let it slide to our detriment and to the detriment of the cause of Christ and the kingdom of God. We just zip it up and we let it slide when we are called to stand. Stand against some things. So we're supposed to be strong. In his power and his might and put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against what we're getting ready to talk about, which is the wiles of the devil. But notice that we, we're not going to be able to stand unless we put on the whole armor of God. If we don't put that on, we're defenseless. We're, we're insufficient. We are lacking. We're going to get whipped. If we don't learn to do it the way that the word of God says we should. So we put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand. Stand against what? The wiles of the devil. That's in a different color. Now that's supposed to be pink. I don't know if that looks pink to you or not, but that's what I wanted it to look like. Because, you know, we, we, we tend to think of, of pink as being the, now I know there's, we're all wear pink now because of the, the, breast cancer thing, right? We got pink shirts and pink socks and pink cars and all kinds of things. But theoretically, men don't usually, didn't used to wear pink. Women usually wore pink. Pink is kind of a feminine color, which is why it's used as a symbol for breast cancer awareness. It's a feminine color. It honors them. It's more appropriate for them in most situations. They do it. On the NFL football field sometimes and wear pink slippers or pink shoes in honor of that cause. And there's not a problem with that. But you got to admit, seeing football players in pink shoes, something about it just don't look quite right most of the time. Pink. Now, the reason I selected pink for this is because we need to understand what the Bible teaches about the devil. Now, the devil has power. Amen. Y'all did that weekly. W-E-A-K, weekly, that was weak. The devil has power, amen? Amen. But he does not have all power. There is somebody that has more power than the devil. So I want to suggest that that stand out in your mind 
when you look at the wiles of the devil. I put it in pink because he has some things in store for us and some strategies against us that we'll talk about in a few minutes. And he he intends to defeat us with his strategy, but he's pink. He's not that powerful because God... (laughs) I hate to even say the name. Some people are getting so touchy nowadays, but, but... But God trumps pink. Right? God is more powerful than the devil is. God's power is greater than the devil. So while the devil can make sometimes uh, um, disruptions in your life, if you put on the whole armor of God and submit yourself to God and resist the devil, the Bible says what? He'll flee from you. See, the burden is on us to do what we're supposed to do. If we'll do what we're supposed to do, the devil does not have the power to wreck our lives if we're submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're always going to come out on the other side victorious if we stay true to God. You may fight some battles. You might even lose a battle or two occasionally, but you're going to win the war if you'll stick with the Lord. So the wiles of the devil just kind of suggest to me in pink there. The reason I chose that is because that's... uh, that's the weaker. He's the weaker one between God and the devil. Don't ever put the devil up and say he's got more power than God. That's, that's just not right. That's not true. So as we continue now with the next verse, verse 12, the Bible says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, this is a very important concept as we look at this scripture. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You can look to your left, you can look to your right, you can look at this pulpit, and you can look at the lobby. And I will tell you a fact. Your enemy is not somebody who's here today. People are not our enemy. The devil is our enemy. Sometimes we get all worked up and bent out of shape because of something that's going on, and we point fingers at a person or we blame a person. Even this tells us we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Christians should not fight one another. We should not be against one another. The Bible says, behold, and how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. The Lord is pleased with unity, but the Lord is displeased with division among his people. So he calls us here to the realization of this fact that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. I could call anybody's name in this building and say to you, you are not my enemy and I am not your enemy. So if somewhere along there becomes a problem, both parties need to wake up and say, the devil's doing this. The devil's doing this. This is not about people. This is about the devil. And then we could get a lot more victories than we do. But we wrestle, do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But the Bible doesn't say we don't wrestle. It just says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against each other. It says, but we wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age and spiritual hosts of wickedness. And if you would think about the U.S. Army, the U.S. Army's got generals and privates and corporals and all these other things. And if I've said one of them wrong, you forgive me because I've already told you I wasn't in the military. So I don't know all those designations. In the kingdom of darkness... There are also different levels and and spheres. We can read that in the Bible, prove that. That's no problem. That's easy to do. There are principalities. There are powers. There are rulers of darkness. And there's spiritual hosts of wickedness. 
Lots of demonic activity taking place in our world today. And it's not happening by accident. It's not happening just willy-nilly. The devil has a strategy and a plan, as we'll talk about in a moment. That's the wiles of the devil. Wiles means strategy or game plan. The devil is plotting against us. The devil is coming against us. If you believe in the devil, would you say amen? Some people today don't even believe that there is a devil anymore. My goodness, all you got to do is look around and see what he's up to and what he's doing in this world today. There is a devil. There is a Satan who is, who is doing his best to thwart the purposes of God in this earth. And he has all of these soldiers, if you will, this host behind him who are supporting him in what he's trying to do and bringing attacks against you and against me as the children of God. So the Bible says we need to wake up. We need to understand that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We are not each other's enemy. Our enemy is on the outside coming against us. It is the devil and his angels. And we are to, according to the Bible, wrestle against them, fight against them, stand up against them, the Bible says. And it's all in pink, remember, because he never has more power than God or children of God who are surrendered to God. He's pink. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Since all the above is true, since what we just read is true, since it's true that, that uh, as we read about the wiles of the devil, the game plan, the strategy of the devil, he has a strategy to bring you down. Did you know that? Listen, you think your wife knows what buttons to push to get to you. I'm going to tell you what, the devil knows exactly where your weaknesses are. He knows exactly where to attack you, where to what what to mess up, up in your mind, what to whisper in your ear. He knows exactly what to do to try to bring you down. He knows that. And it's up to us, according to the scripture, to be wise enough in the word of God to understand that the devil does have a strategy against us. And we are supposed to, therefore, take on the whole armor of God. Verse 13, take up the whole armor of God. Why? That we may be able to withstand. We have to have the armor of God in order to withstand. And if you don't put on the armor of God daily, you're going to be susceptible to the struggles and the trials and the temptations of life. Let me just say this right up front. Being tempted is not a sin. Being tempted is not a sin. All of us are tempted. Jesus was tempted. It's not the question, are you tempted or not? All of us are tempted. The question is, how are we going to handle it? How are we going to respond to temptation? How are we going to respond to affliction? How are we going to respond to trials? It's not if they're coming. It's how we're going to handle them. So the Bible says, therefore, since that's true, Satan is going to come against you, his wiles and his game plan and his strategy to bring you down then you need to understand that. Therefore, because of that, take up the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to withstand. There's this yellow highlight again, this strength of God and and the militant idea. Put on your armor so that you can withstand in the evil day. Anybody think these days are evil? If we've ever needed to learn this lesson to put on the whole armor of God, this is the time. We We need to get dressed every single day. 
We need to put our armor on every single day so that we can withstand in the evil day. And then having done all that we know to do, that's put on the whole armor of God and be faithful. I'm going to tell you, if you do everything that the armor of God says, you're going to be in good shape. Devil can't whip you then. He can't get to you then. Having done all to stand. Verse 14 says, stand therefore. Do you know four different times in this passage we're, we're told to stand? Don't turn tail and run. You don't have to flee from the devil. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you, the scripture says. Now, that's just not a cute little phrase that we're supposed to memorize as Christians. This is something we're supposed to live. We're supposed to look into the Word of God, see what those things are, and make sure we're putting those things on every day, deliberatively, in our hearts and in our minds. We put on the whole armor of God. We don't go out into the world willy-nilly, just listening to everything we hear on the radio and on the TV and at the office. No, we have to put on our armor so that we can be righteous and holy and clean before God and strong enough to stand against the attacks of the enemy. So stand, therefore. Then it tells us what these things are. Just think about a soldier putting on his armor. Having girded your waist with truth. Truth. God's word is truth. A lot of us would be a lot better off if we dealt with truth instead of lies. It'd be a lot better on Facebook if people would post truth. Instead of untruth. Amen. It'd be a lot better if when we talked about anything, we spoke truthfully instead of dishonestly. So gird up your waist with truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Think about this this thing that you, you put on and it protects all your vital organs here. Your breastplate. It's made to protect you against the unexpected spears or swords that might be coming your way. The breast, it it protects you. It's righteousness. Now the Bible teaches us about righteousness, that my righteousness, my righteousness, my righteousness is as filthy rags. I don't trust in my righteousness. I trust in his righteousness. Amen. His righteousness, the Bible says, is imputed to us. So I focus on the fact that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And I walk in that knowledge and I think about that throughout the day. What Jesus has done for me. He has made me righteous. I am righteous because of him. And I don't want to mess that up. I don't want to contaminate that. I want to walk in that and appreciate that and enjoy that. Because we can, by the way. We can live without sin. Oh, I know there's preachers all over the place saying, well, you can't live without sin. Well, they need to read their Bibles because the Bible says we can. He washes us and he cleanses us and he sanctifies us. That is, he sets us apart. We become holy. And just about every epistle in the New Testament, when you read through it, it is addressed to, addressed to, at the beginning, addressed to the saints. You know what saints mean? Sanctified ones. They're set apart. We can be set apart. We don't have to live like the world, act like the world, walk like the world, talk like the world. We can be set apart. 
And the Bible tells us that we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness to trust Jesus for our salvation. And then we have to have our feet, our feet, uh, the, the preparation of the gospel of peace. You got to put something on your feet, right? Your feet have to be protected. Isn't that something everywhere you go? It's your feet that carry you there, right? Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What a positive message. What a beautiful thing. I'm going to tell you, the gospel is awesome. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. And it says, above all, taking the shield of faith. You had the breastplate that covered you this way, but you also have a shield that you carry in your hand that you can move it if you see things coming your way. Take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all. Can somebody say all? All the fiery darts of the wicked one. Whatever he tries to throw you, he may throw you a fastball. He may throw you a curveball. He may throw any other kind of ball you think about in baseball. They have all these terms. You may not know which direction it's coming from and how fast. But it's coming. But the Bible says if we'll take the shield of faith, put your faith in God alone. And the Bible says you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And then, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation, which is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And incidentally, verse 18, praying always. Could you say praying always? always. With all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Being watchful. Could you say being watchful? watchful. Don't you think soldiers on the battlefield? You know, I've I've heard of guys that that was rough as a corn hob. Corn cob, cussed like a sailor. I mean, they're rough. They're rough. I've watched some movies, as you have too, like Saving Private Ryan and some other movies. Well, I'm going to tell you, the language they use is rough. But you know, I've also heard about those same guys when they get in the battlefield and the mortars start coming in and the rockets start flying. What do they start doing? (laughs) Yes, they do. They start praying. Well, it's not only when we have a crisis and we're in a... What do they call those ditches? Foxhole. Yeah, thank you. I need a little help from time to time. In those types of situations, sure you need to pray there, but you need to be praying always. Every day. That's part of the armor of God, praying and supplication. And it goes on to say, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and being watchful with your eyes open, be aware of what's going on to this end. Now, this is interesting too. All these things we're supposed to do, it's part of our, our military training, if you will. It's what we're doing to be ready for the, the fight whenever it appears, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. In other words, it's not just about us, but it's about the people around us. Being watchful to this end. What end? All the saints. We, we pray, we persevere, we make supplication for who? All the saints. You're important. Part of my putting on the armor of God is praying for you. Part of your putting on the armor of God is praying for me. We pray for each other. Listen, this is not, 
in this army. It ain't one man for himself. We, we, we're together. We're family. We're an army. We ought to just stop and sing onward Christian soldiers. I declare. We, we have a responsibility to watch out, to keep out, to, to be alert what's going on around us. And that's what this whole passage talks about. Well, I'm going to move on because I hope you've got that militant theme there. I want to now go to the next slide and talk about the wiles, the game plan, and the strategy. We were told in the scripture there, verse 10 and 11, Finally, my brethren, this is very important, he's saying, I want you to understand this. I want you to be strong. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Wiles of the devil? We don't use that word much anymore. Wiles. But it means game plan or strategy. In other words, the devil has a game plan to bring you down. The devil has a strategy to bring you down. I think when you understand that, it ought to infuriate you. I think it ought to make us have contempt for the devil. And what he's trying to do to you and your children and your family and God's church and this country. It ought to infuriate us what he's doing. And we don't even think about it as being his strategy and his plan. But whatever you see going on in America and all the ills that we're suffering from right now and all the violence and all the shootings and all the, the relationship, all of it, it's all attributed to Satan's wiles, his game plan and his strategy. And we sit back and lick lollipops and don't even know what's going on. When he is determined to bring us down, and I'm going to tell you one thing, we better rise up and be determined we're not going to be taken down. This little boy was in school. His name was Billy. I've told this before, but it works so well here. I'm going to tell it again. Billy went to school like most of us have, and there was a bully there. And he was a cocky little fella. And one day he decided he was going to sit down with a sheet of notebook paper and a pencil, and he was going to write down the name of everybody in that classroom he could whip. Well, Billy had just about enough. And he heard about this list that this bully was making. And he wrote down this long list of all the kids in the classroom he could whip. And he knew he could go torment them. He could pick on them. He could bully them and get away with it. Well, Billy heard about that list. He walked over to this bully and said, I want to ask you something. Is my name on that list? The bully looked down and said, yeah, it's right here. And Billy looked at him and said, I'm going to tell you one thing. You better take my name off that list right now because you can't whip me. And the bully turned that pencil around with the eraser and took his name right off that list. All he had to do was stand up to him. And that's all we have to do to the devil is stand up to him. Aren't you sick and tired of getting defeated by the devil? Then put on the armor of God. He doesn't stand a chance and you can move forward in your walk with the Lord. Amen. Now. 
what's, what's he doing? What's he up to? I, I can't tell you what he's up to in your life because I don't know what your weaknesses are and where he attacks you. But I know they're there because I know you're human and I'm human and we all are. And the devil knows where to push your buttons, how to mess you up spiritually. But he's got a greater, grander, larger game plan and strategy than that. I'm going to share that with you in brief order now. What is his strategy? The first thing I'm going to mention to you, his strategy is to make sin less offensive. To make sin less offensive. I want you to think about this with me. Now we're going to Psalm 5 where your Bible is open or you've already marked it. And we're going to read in Psalm 5 verses 4 through 6. This Psalm is talking about God. It's talking about God. I want us to see how God feels about sin and wickedness. Psalm chapter 5, beginning at verse 4. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. Nor shall evil dwell with you. There's, there's a scripture in Habakkuk 1.13 that says, Thou art of pure eyes than to behold evil and to look on iniquity. That's what he's saying here too. You are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. That's God. Now let me ask you this question. Does it sound like to you that God is offended by sin? Does to me. He's not tolerant of sin. He doesn't smile at sin. He doesn't put up with our sin. He is offended at our sin. He can't look on it. He can't be a part of it. That's just what the Bible says. The wages of sin is, is death. On the other hand, we as Christians in these days in which we live now, we have become fairly tolerant of sin. Sin is not offensive to us like it used to be. I'm going to tell you what, and I sound like one of them old guys now. Okay? That's okay. I remember when I was growing up, and Ronnie Rose is not but about a year or two different from me. Or three, or four, I don't know, somewhere. We're close. We're from the same generation. And I think Ronnie will agree with me that there's a lot of things talked about now. And a lot of things we just kind of gloss over and let go that when we were small, you didn't do. You didn't talk about him. You never heard it on TV. It was just off limits for discussion among Christian people. You just didn't talk about it. And even in culture in general, you didn't talk about it much. I've shared with you before the, the first episodes of the Lucy show back in the day. There was a big debate among the producers because they were going to cast Ricky and Lucy sleeping in the same bed at night. And there was an uproar. The public in America will never tolerate that. 
That would be vile and unacceptable. So culture was such that they had to cast that show showing Ricky and Lucy sleeping in separate beds in those episodes. Many of you will remember that. That was why. That was the mindset then, wasn't it, Ronnie? There were some things you didn't talk about. If you were a 16-year-old in high school who became pregnant, it was, oh. Right? You didn't talk about it. It was looked at as being shameful. It was, oh, terrible. But now, it's acceptable, even applauded. It's just... It means nothing anymore. And we could make a list of a hundred things this morning. Of things that used to be, in, in even in our culture, vile and wicked and unacceptable. There was a day you never talked about divorce. There might have been a few of them. But back in the 50s, you just didn't talk about it. There were certain things you just didn't discuss. By the same token, in the same line of thinking, there are things... That some of us used to have blushed at that now are just totally, I'm going to tell you, I am, um, I'm, I'm fairly, I'm a, I'm a kind of easy going, I don't know how to say this. I'm not a liberal by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm, I'm pretty tolerant of things. I'm not easily offended, but I'm going to tell you what, there's some commercials going on now that offend me with the plain talk and the things that are being discussed on on television for young kids and everybody else to hear. My point is, God is offended with sin, but we're not anymore. We're not offended by sin anymore. It is, sin has kind of become acceptable with us. Let's flip over to Ecclesiastes, that passion, uh, passage I want to share with you. Ecclesiastes beginning at verse, it's Ecclesiastes 12 beginning at verse 13. This is one of my favorites in the scripture. The Bible says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. That's kind of like uh, Paul said. And finally, I've got to tell you what's really on my heart. Ecclesiastes says in verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is what is really important, the writer says. And what is that? Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Fear God and keep his commandments. I'm going to tell you what, there is... Absolutely little demonstration in America today of the fear of God. The people who fear God are few. Now, the Bible says that fear God and keep his commandments for this is man's all. This is what's really important in life. This is what we should be concerned about. Fearing God and keep his commandments. But most people don't fear God. And sin is no longer offensive to us. Now, the Bible says, I am the Lord thy God. I change not. So God hasn't changed. If he was offended about sin in scripture, he's still offended by sin today. But we gravitate away from God-like thinking, and it doesn't bother us 
like it used to. We court sin. Y'all, y'all know what it means to go courting? That goes back to Ronnie Rose's day when he was in. Court. We call it dating today, but courting. We court sin. We entertain sin. That is, we tolerate it. We entertain sin. We excuse sin. Can somebody tell me amen? We do. We allow sin to entertain us. God help us with what we watch on television. We allow sin to entertain us. And don't tell me that doesn't affect you spiritually when you do that. It will. You can't watch that stuff and listen to that stuff without it affecting you. We get just as close to sin as we can without falling into the pit. If you believe that, would you tell me amen? That's epidemic. Things that used to be shameful are now spoken of publicly, paraded on TV, movies, and Facebook. I'm going to tell you, some of the things people brag about on Facebook. Language is vile. The ungodly. Sometimes even professing Christians using vile language. Not offended at anything. Well, that's because we've made sin less offensive. i got to hurry for the rest of these right quick. The second thing I'd like to mention is his strategy is to make heaven less appealing. To make heaven less appealing. If you talk to most people about heaven, they seem to be bored with the subject. Well... Floating around on clouds all day doesn't seem that exciting to me. The Bible says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for us. I'm going to tell you what, if you think heaven's about floating around on clouds, no wonder you're bored. Heaven's going to make you say, wow. It's going to be more, it's going to be more than you can even imagine. I look at it this way. All of us know that we came from our mother's womb. I think all of us know that. And can you imagine the baby in the womb? That baby's comfortable. Everything's going pretty good, right? Happy. All the needs are being met. That baby's in its mother's womb. Now listen to what happens. When that baby is born through the process of birth, that baby comes out kicking and screaming. Right? Now, because the baby is leaving the comfort of where it has been its whole life. And as it, as it's born, it comes into this world that's totally foreign and there's bright lights and, and this, you know, I'm not surrounded by what, it's just everything is different. And so the babies cry and kick and scream and they have to get adjusted to the thousands and thousands of experiences and pleasures of this life, right? That won't even hold a candle 
to what we're going to experience when we get to heaven. With the differences and the wonders and the excitement and the glories of being in heaven with the Lord. And all that he has, we can't even begin to comprehend it. You just have to go there to experience it. Amen. But heaven has become so unappealing to so many people, primarily because we don't talk about it much. We don't sing about it much anymore. Remember when we used to sing, when we all get to heaven and a hundred other songs that would talk about heaven, probably not much anymore. And the excitement of heaven has been almost eliminated. And so we're not as motivated toward holy living as we used to be. There's an old song we used to sing when I was younger. But just think of stepping on shore and finding it heaven. Of touching a hand and finding it God's. Of breathing new air and finding it celestial. Of waking up in glory and finding it home. And the song goes on to say, oh, that will be glory for me. It's going to be wonderful. We've made heaven less appealing. But it's far more than we can imagine. And the next thing I'll mention is we've made, or the devil has used this strategy to make hell less horrific. Most people don't believe in hell anymore. Statistics bear that out, even Christians. Well, I, I guess there's probably heaven, but I really don't think there's a hell. That's the mindset that people have. The Bible speaks a lot about hell. And it's not a metaphor and it's not make-believe. It's a literal place that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And there's not one person in this building or one person you know... That has to go there. If a person goes to hell. It's because they made that choice. Because the Lord is willing to forgive. And wash away our sins. Jonathan Edwards was a a preacher. Back in the 1700's or so. He preached a famous sermon. Called sinners in the hands of an angry God. And in that sermon he described hell. Remember, the sinners in the hands of a angry God. It goes back to the fact that God is offended by sin. God doesn't look over sin. So in sinners in the hands of an angry God, Jonathan Edwards uses this imagery. We've all seen the spider web hanging down and a spider dangling at the end of it, right? Jonathan Edwards uses that terminology. He says, all of us are like a spider web with the spider dangling at the end being held over the fire. That's all of us. And it's only by the grace of God that we're not just let go and plunged into the pit. God's grace is an amazing thing. And all he asks us to do is to honor him and live for him, to love him and serve him, 
But in our eyes, hell has been made much less horrific. We probably should preach on hell more often to let people know. That's the only way to reverse the trends, folks, is to let God's word speak to our hearts and hear what the Bible says. And then, finally, the last one I'll share with you is to make the gospel less urgent. Those of you who have been around for a while as Christians, I'd like if you just answer this question for me. Is the church more urgent about reaching the lost, more diligent about reaching the lost, 50 years ago or today? That used to be what drove us. That was our motivation. We have to reach the lost. We have to find people who are on their way to hell. We have to rescue them. We have to share the gospel. And now there's no urgency that the gospel be shared. And in case you haven't noticed it, the sinners aren't beating down our doors to come to church at this church or any other church. They're not beating down the doors to come to church. We have to go where the sinners are. And we have to tell people about heaven and hell and a God who loves and saves and forgives. Or at the very least, befriend them and, and invite them to come to the house of the Lord where they can hear the word. But one way or the other, we've got to be urgent about that. And remember the rocking chair? The devil has just rocked us to sleep where there's no urgency. Listen, moms and dads, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, friends and neighbors and relatives, all going to hell. And we go to sleep every night. And it really never bothers us. Remember the times when there used to be tears? There used to be crying. I can remember mothers and fathers bowing at the altar and crying out to God for minutes. And I'm not going to say hours and hours because that's a long time. But I know some of them have done that. I mean for a prolonged period of time. Pleading the blood of Jesus over their family members so they wouldn't be lost. We don't see that anymore. It's because... Satan has strategically messed with us. We don't see sin as being offensive anymore. We tolerate it. Heaven is not something that excites us anymore. Hell is not something that bothers us anymore. And the gospel isn't presented and shared with the urgency that it was years ago. I'm going to tell you, that's all the devil's doings. What color was he on the screen? Pink. He can be outdone by the army of the Lord. The ones who put on the whole armor of God. The ones who are committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. The ones who are willing to stand, withstand, and stand again. Those people can be people who stand up and defeat that. But we have to understand what's taking place. Well... There was, um, back in England, years ago, there was a man named Charles Peace. Charles Peace was a murderer and a thief. And he was being ushered to the gallows, death row. He was being sent to the gallows to be hanged. It is now as it was then, 
as he was walking to the gallows to be hanged, a clergyman or a chaplain was with him and was reading scripture to him as he was about to have a rope placed around his neck and hang. And the, the, the clergyman read part of a scripture that talked about the fire will not be quenched, which was dealing with the subject of hell. Charles Peace looked over at this chaplain. This is what he said. Sir, if I believed what you and the church of God say you believe, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it, if need be, on hands and knees and think it worthwhile living just to save one soul from an eternal hell like that. Kind of makes my point, doesn't it? We don't fear hell. It doesn't bother us. I want to share with you that Satan is stealing from us. He steals our hope. He steals our excitement. He steals our spiritual life. He, he goes after our children and our families. And sometimes we have to just put our foot down and say enough is enough. We're going to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. And we're going to having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having taken the sword of the spirit and the helmet and the shield of faith. We put on the whole armor of God. I'm fully dressed today. I'm going to stand against the enemy today. And the Bible says if we do that, we can be victorious and we can stand. We'll make a difference. A church that will do that will make a difference. We need to get sick and tired of the devil keeping us sick and tired. We need to get sick and tired of the fact that our children don't serve the Lord. We need to get sick and tired of the fact that our families don't serve the Lord. We need to get sick and tired of what's going on in this country and begin to fall on our knees and plead the blood of Jesus. We need as soldiers to storm into the enemy's camp and take back what the devil has taken away from us. Wait a minute. We read about the, the, the armor. Remember the breastplate? The shoes? The belt, the shield, the sword, the helmet. Remember all that? All that armor? Now imagine I've got all that on. I've got the helmet, the shield, the shoes, the belt, sword, the shield. And then when I turn around, what's protecting me? Nothing. Why? That's because our posture should never be running from the devil but always facing him with our armor on to allow him to do in us and to be what God has called us to be. Yes. I want you to stand with me. We're going to sing a couple little tunes before we dismiss. Well, I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. i
I've been around long enough to know we sing some songs. People say, why in the world do you have to keep singing that line over and over and over again? Listen, sometimes we don't get it until we've heard it seven times. You tell me where the Bible says that the devil belongs. On your back? No, he belongs under your feet. We have the armor of God. We have been given the power over all the power who is uh, over all the power of the enemy. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. I mean, we could go on and on with what the Bible says about that. We're just going to have to stand up and do what the Bible says and start putting on the whole armor of God and go back and take what the devil stolen from us and experience revival. Don't you think it's about time we did that? Let's sing this one more time. I went to the enemy's camp. Well, I went to the enemy's camp. And I took back what he stole from me. Took back what he stole from me. Took back what he stole from me. I went to the enemy's camp. And I took back what he stole from me. He's under my We can stand here at this point in time. We can look in one of two directions. We can look behind us or we can look in front of us. We can look at our past or we can look at the future. I'd like to ask you, what are you more concerned about today? Your ladder? What's already happened? Or are you more excited about the future and what God wants to do? If you'll put your armor on. If you'll get dressed every day. And let's become and rise up to be what God's called us to be. Well, this song is an old song. We used to sing it a lot. I'd say it's been about eight years at least since we've sung this song. But I want you to sing it with me because it talks about how the ladder. Let's sing it. Your ladder will be greater than the past. Your last days, and you will be blessed more than you could have, despite all that has been done. The best is yet to come, and your laughter will be greater. Your laughter will be greater. Your life.
Well, I tell you, I've been thinking a lot about this the last few days. And I've determined as much as it lies within me that the latter part of my life is going to be greater than the past. Amen. I mentioned the other day at a seniors meeting we had, it's, it's, it's not being retired. It's being refired. That's important. People of God never retire from the Lord, do they? They're always going to serve the Lord. May not preach every Sunday, but you're always going to serve the Lord. And our latter years can be better than the past. All things are possible. Possible. Amen. What a powerful word today. We're getting ready to close with prayer, but I want to give a chance for everyone that has a need uh, to speak out. Um, We'll do it in a fairly uniform fashion. We'll start over here and just go around. Uh, If you've got a spoken request or one that's not spoken, if you just want to raise your hand, uh, the Lord knows why you're raising your hand today. So. See hands going up all around. Anyone with a spoken request today that you want us to remember? You're back. Yes, ma'am. Yes, we ma'am. were expecting this morning that Betty Tilton would be able to join us. She was planning on it. Evidently, she didn't feel up to it today. She hasn't been to church probably here in three years. She's been in four different nursing homes that I can remember. And... Many times when I would visit her, she would say, I'm going to be at church one Sunday. And her daughter was going to bring her today. But I'd like for us to pray for Betty. She's in a nursing home now back in the Raleigh area, in Raleigh, in fact. So let's pray for her that the Lord will strengthen her enough. She she has promised me I'm going to get back in that church one time. And she was going to come today. We made arrangements to actually physically bring her in. Uh, but she wasn't able to make it, obviously. But I'd like for us to pray for her. Okay. And I've got one prayer request. I had a teacher come to me on my staff this week with a, a very urgent need. Um, he didn't come to me for prayer. He came to me as his boss. But I feel it's my obligation as a Christian 
to put forth that request uh, in his honor today. So please, please lift him up today as we pray. If everyone would bow their heads. Father, we thank you for this fellowship that you've given us today, Father. We thank you for the worship and the word that has come forth, Lord, from our pastor's mouth, Father. And we pray, Lord, today, God, that you would touch each and every person here. Lord, you saw the hands that went up around this building today, Father. Each and every request, Lord, while they may not have been spoken, Father, we know that you know the request. Father, those that were spoken, Lord, I can't remember them all, but I pray that you would reach down right now, Father, where they are, and that you would give them the assurance, Father, that you've heard their prayers, Father, and that they will be answered. Father, I lift up each and every person here today, Father, that you would bless them as they go forth this week, Lord, and allow us to carry the gospel, Father, to speak with that renewed fire that the pastor spoke about, Lord, and to tell others about a saving Jesus that died on a cross for our sins, that we could have life eternal. Lord, we pray right now, Father, that you would touch us all. Bless us, God, as we go our separate ways and bring us back at that next appointed hour. For we give you the glory, the honor, and the praise today. In your name we ask it. Amen.